Amen. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. How awesome is it for God to allow us to experience times like these in our church's life? Uh, to see baptisms, to see multiple baptisms, to know that we were able to celebrate it here in this service. And just so you know, in 1115, there will be a couple more who will be baptized up in the gathering. We give the Lord all the credit for those because the Lord is the one who draws us to himself and he allows us to follow him in discipleship, specifically as we follow him in baptism. So how awesome is it for us to be able to experience that? How awesome it is to know that also there are things going, out, going on outside of these walls. Last night, many of us gathered over at the old Barnett Springs, what we are referring to now as the Springs, a new work that the Lord is allowing us to participate in and help with and really encourage. And what a great turnout from the folks at Temple that were there as we had the block party last night. There was all kind of food. There was all kind of like uh, jumpies and video games and face painting. Mike Brister, did you wash it off? You did take a shower. I didn't think you took a shower on Saturday night or Sunday morning, but he washed it off. There were all kinds of things that we got to do, and there were several from the community, the families that came out. And uh, look, what an exciting moment to be able to participate outside of these walls in what God is doing in our community and beyond. God is moving, and the Spirit is moving in our midst. And I am grateful to hear those winds. I am grateful to sense that wind of the Spirit in my life, and I hope you have sensed it in yours and in the life of this church. God is doing some great things. Genesis chapter 42. God had done some great things in Joseph's life. Joseph had been through all kinds of trials. He'd been through all kinds of difficulty. And yet, God had worked through all of those. Through all those difficulties, through all the trials. And God had brought him to a place of success and, yes, prosperity. God had placed this young Hebrew... He had placed him as the prime minister of Egypt. In effect, the second in charge of all of the world. How ironic that God takes this Hebrew from a relatively unknown place, Canaan, and he brings him to the civilized Egypt, and he uses him in a place of position and prosperity. We saw last week how Joseph just continued to follow the Lord even as success came to him. In particular, Joseph had been able to put away the past. He had been able to put away the bitterness of the things that had happened to him. Friends, if those things had happened to us, many of us would not have been better for them, but we would have been bitter over them. And we would have held on to that bitterness. But somehow, somehow, Joseph, through God's work in his life, was able to lay aside that bitterness. And he, had, he was able to move on. But guess what? Oftentimes when you just thought you had moved on, when you thought you had put those things, when God had given you the strength to say, I am not going to deal with this bitterness anymore, it's at that moment that the past will rear its ugly head again. And there will be difficulty that you will face and decisions you'll have to make. I want you to see it today. And I want to ask you a couple questions about what you will do when the wounds stand before you and when the wounded stand 
before you. Look at Genesis 42, beginning in verse 1. It says, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to the place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. Well, again, those of you who are familiar with the story, you know that Joseph had been faithful to God's revelation, God's work. And Joseph had been storing away seven years of prosperity, of superabundance in Egypt. He had been creating cities that would house that type of storage. He had been preparing for the famine that was to come because God had shown him famine was coming, right? Famine is coming, seven years of it. So get ready. So Joseph had been preparing. And the previous chapter tells us that, that in this process, famine does come. And people come to Joseph, come to Egypt to try to get food because famine has obviously affected the whole area, the whole region, the whole world as they would have known it. It had affected Canaan. Now, before I go any further, I want to say this. God had sent the famine. He had. Psalm 105, 16. God was the one who was behind the famine. By the way, who, God is behind prosperity. He is also behind the famine. Those who have grown crops through the years, you know what it's like. I mean, you kind of depend upon God for the rain, right? You can do all the irrigation, all the other things, but really, ultimately, you need God to provide. So there in Canaan, the famine had come. So God is driving the past back into Joseph's life. Now, let that sink in just a moment. God had made him forget. God had allowed him to move on. Remember, mentally, he had not forgotten these things. I mean, he could have, he could have told you about every insult. He could have told you about every injury that he had had over these years. He could have if he wanted to mentally recall those things. But he had put them aside. Remember, he had named his son Manasseh, which means God made me forget and every time he called Manasseh's name, it was to remind him that God had given him the strength to move on. But now God had used the famine. And God was going to drive the past back into his life. The scripture here says that Jacob looks around in this moment of famine. Now, Jacob is a crusty, cantankerous old man. He is at this point. You ought to read through this narrative and you'll see he is a cranky, cantankerous old man. You know some of those. This section. We could go through, right? I see a few of you smiling, Paul Frazier. I see a few of you smiling at me. Dwight, I see you. And yes, you know you are. Jacob is sitting there as this old, cantankerous old guy. And he looks at his sons and he says, what are you doing sitting around looking at each other? You're twiddling your thumbs. There's no food here. Famine has overwhelmed our area. You're sitting around like there's nothing to do. We're going to starve to death unless you get up and go to Egypt. We've all heard the reports. Egypt, it is the breadbasket. It is the place of sustenance and substance. You got to go to Egypt. Verse 3. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Ten brothers? I thought he had eleven. Oh, i got to keep reading. Verse 4. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. 
I just point out here, nothing's changed in the family. Still favoritism. Still Jacob being the passive dad that he is. He says, you're not going to take Benjamin. The rest of you, something happens to you. Well, Verse 5, And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers. But they did not recognize him. Remember I said to you, Joseph had put all these things in the past. He had moved on. You know what? I know my brothers harmed me. I know that there was hatred in their heart. I saw it in their eye as they lowered me into that pit, as they sold me into slavery. I know that they hated me. I know that they've done these things to me. I know that I have gone from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison because of them. I know that. But I also know that God had a plan for all of this. Oh, yeah, he did. You look at Joseph's life. He knew that. But still, I've moved on. I've forgotten those things. I put them in the past. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, okay, it wasn't like God announced it that morning in the clouds of the sky. Don't you wish sometimes God would give you a heads up maybe? Like when you go out and you look, you just see written in the sky like what's going to happen or beware or get ready. Some of you may be praying every now and then, God, just write me a message in my Cheerios so that I know God doesn't do that. He could. He has all the power in the world, but he usually does not do something like that. It's just another day. Joseph's been selling grain. He's been selling produce to all the nations. The scripture says all these different groups come up, and he's been selling. And he looks up one day, and there they are. And he recognizes them. They don't quite recognize him. Now, I don't know if it's because of the Egyptian dress. It says here he spoke roughly to them. I think he probably, well, I believe he spoke Egypt, the Egyptian language to them, trying to in some way maybe disguise his identity. He knows them. They don't know him. All these years, and I would suggest to you approximately 20, 20 plus years. Remember, he was 17 when he left. When they sold him into slavery. He was 30 when he became like this prime minister of Egypt. The seven years of abundance had come. And now obviously there had been enough time that the famine had affected many. So 20 plus years, okay? 20 plus years. He's in Egypt. Why would you ever think the Canaanites would come down to Egypt? Why would they make this trip? I don't think it ever had occurred that he might run across his brothers again. But on this fateful day, he looks up and he hears the request and his brothers stand before him. 
Let me ask you this morning. How many times has that past that you had put to bed, that you had put to the side, how many times has that past shoved its way back into your life? You had done everything you could to kind of move it to the side, to forget about it, just move on. Don't think about it. Don't dwell on it. Don't allow bitterness just to put it to the side. And all of a sudden, you look up one day, and the past is right before you. It happens, does it not? Broken relationships. Perhaps an ex-spouse that you kind of had just said, you know what, they do their own thing, I do mine, I try not to come in contact, you may even move away from them for a while, and you look up, and the one that hurt you and brought you so much difficulty, right before you. Or maybe a matter that they have, they have to call you about. Or maybe it's that boss. You remember we talked about sometimes you work for Pharaoh? Some of you tried to raise your hands last week because you were going to testify of working with Pharaoh. By the way, that was ugly. You shouldn't do that kind of stuff, you know. But some of you have worked for difficult bosses. And maybe you quit because of them. Or maybe, maybe they fired you. And you said, you know what, that's okay. I'm moving on. Not dealing with it anymore. I don't want to necessarily see them. Don't want to go through this with them. And then somehow along the way, they come back into your life. Maybe in a different position. Maybe in a circle of friends. Maybe in the church. They come back into your life. Even for those of us who know that they're difficult parents. I say that. I shouldn't say us. You all who have difficult parents, all right? Because my mama's going to listen to that and dissect that, and I'm going to have to repent for the next three weeks because of that. But some of you know about maybe difficult parents, maybe an estranged dad or mom, and you just finally said, hey, and yet they shove their way back into your life. What happens when your past catches up with you? What happens when your past stands before you? I would put it this way. This is the question I want you to really think about. How will you respond when your wounds stand right before you? When I say that wounds, I mean, understand that Joseph had many wounds because of these guys. He had all kinds of things that he could have held on to. All kinds of difficulty, difficulty that he had experienced. He could have said, you want to see the scars? Physical, emotional scars that I have received because of you. What's going to happen when one day your wounds catch up with you? When they're right before you. When you had put them in the past, you had gotten over the bitterness, and yet now they're standing right before you. What are you going to do? How will you respond? Well, I will tell you that we can reason our way to just about any kind of response. 
I probably would do something like this. I would probably say, you know what? When you look at this great path, and I know that God is sovereign, and I know that God is the one that's worked out all this plan for me and what's happened, he must have put them right before me so I could finally tell them off. And maybe, maybe even get back to them. I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind taking a couple of them and strangling them in the name of Jesus Christ, strangling them. Because oftentimes we reason like that, right? Oh, what God must have done, he must have put them here for the purpose of me. You know, he's got me in a position. I mean, Joseph is in the position to do anything he wants. Don't forget that. We talked about it last week. He, he, he's in a position where he can do anything he wants. All he has to answer to is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is not going to worry about 10 Hebrew guys that have come down begging for produce. Pharaoh's not going to worry about them. Joseph can do anything he wants. Joseph could have reasoned and said, okay, God, I put this away. You made me forget this. You made me put that bitterness away. But God, there's no doubt. You, you put them right here so I, can, so I can do something to them. Revenge. That's the way some of us would have reacted. And we would have justified it by God's will and God's plan. Do you know how many things God gets blamed for today that's not really his will or plan? I hear it all the time. You do too in the community. You do maybe even in your, hey, sometimes I think I've heard it coming out of my own mouth to recognize later. Hey, that was not what God wanted. You just tried to reason your way toward it. We blame God on so much. God does not speak contrary to his revelation, to his word. Now I want you to know that today and hear this. You can reason your way you can even use Bible verses, but I'm going to say God will never contradict his revelation here. So if God has told us that vengeance is mine, then vengeance is his. It's not yours, it's not mine. If he has told us to pray for our enemies, if he has told us to be forgiving to all people, that's what he means. Will you practice what you preach? Will you practice what the scripture says? I've used this phrase several times over the last few years. I came across it as I was studying Max Lucado's uh, writings on Joseph. And it's probably not original with him, but it just grabbed me when I, when I read through it. And that was this. Hurt people hurt people. When you are hurt, so often that's when you want to hurt somebody else. When you're wounded in your relationships, marriage relationship, maybe uh, parent-child relationship, maybe uh, your workplace, maybe the church life, maybe it's in school, whatever it is. When you're hurt, what do you want to do? You want to hurt somebody else. That's all you know to do. Hurt people. Hurt people. I'll tell you, God has helped me through the years because I think I shared with you last week, like, I have a list, or I did. 
Did I tell you that? I told you there were a couple of ladies on that list. <laughs> Always look at God and say, okay, God, thanks for reminding me what I preach on Sunday. Because, you know, I, one of those ladies on the list I saw this week. <laughs> I had not seen her in like 10 years. No, she's not a member of Temple. See, some of you just got that because I didn't mention that in the 9 a.m. blended. And like in 1115, they were saying like, hey, we heard there's somebody at Temple you don't like. We heard from the 9 a.m. blended people. <laughs> we have those people sometimes that we'd like to see, you know, just like maybe just not, not, not suffer, not suffer. But maybe you just like to see them, like just God get them in a headlock for just a few moments. Just try to teach them and remind them. This, is, this has helped me through the years. It was a study I had that really talked about, like in the book of Hebrews where it talks about our, our fathers, for example, and how our fathers did that which they thought was right. It doesn't mean that they were always right. They just thought that they were doing what was right. And the, the analogy that's given to us in the book of Hebrews is that why wouldn't you listen to God who is the perfect father? Okay? He is the perfect father who helps us and is always doing what's right and is always wanting to do what's right for us. But in that conversation, I was thinking, okay, so dads don't always do what's right. But they're trying to most of the time. They did not intend to really mess us up. They didn't intend to do that, right? I'm not intending to mess up my kids. But I don't do everything right. But when you know that they're trying to do right, even when they mess up, it's a whole lot easier to forgive them, is it not? Are you following me here? I don't think most people want to hurt you. Most people think they're doing what's right. I really believe that. Most people within the church context, most believers, let me say that, they're trying to do what's right. But you may go through some hurt and pain, but it's a whole lot easier to forgive them if you know that they were at least trying to do what they thought was right and they still loved you. Now, I will admit, there are some people that are just mean. And some people are evil. And some people mean to hurt you. Lived in, we live in a sin-filled world. So what do I say then? I go back and say, God, you told me vengeance is yours. God, I'm letting you deal with this. I can't hold the bitterness. I can't hold the moments of what I'm going to do. God, you've got this. So get this. I mean, it, it has revolutionized my life. I should have told you all this five years ago or so, about when I was getting ready to come. Because this is a revolutionary truth. If they didn't mean to hurt me, and they didn't mean to hurt you, it's so easier to forgive them. And if they did mean to hurt you, and if they were evil, then you can release them because, get this, God has got your back. God is the one who is going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to scheme. You don't have to try to think of ways to make them pay. Just let God take care of that. When the wounds come before you, what will you do? 
I'm not going to read all of Joseph's response here because it's kind of like, what is Joseph doing? Because he confronts them, he speaks roughly to them, he will even imprison them, he will call them spies. Some say, well, that was not the best way to handle things. I think the brothers got off pretty good if they only got three days in prison. You know, I would have given them at least five days, all right? But why would he do? It may be a little difficult to ascertain his motivation and what he's doing through all of this narrative. But remember, there's one dad and one brother still alive. And I think he's wanting to get to the heart of this. Are these brothers telling him the truth? Because they have a history of lying. Could I reunite with my brother and with my dad? And I believe all of this sequence back and forth is part of that hope that he could reunite with his family. And one of these Sundays we're going to finally get there. I know you think it's going to take us forever, but one of these Sundays we're going to finally get there and talk about that reunion. Man, that's good. But verse 13, I wanted to call your attention to. Because when they were given the report to Joseph, they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. See, I, I really appreciated that when I read through, because it's like, okay, they're standing in the presence of no more. <laughs> right? They don't even know he's around. They think he is gone. And they're standing in the very presence of no more. Don't tell me that God doesn't have some type of sense of humor and how they respond. How will you respond when your wounds stand before you? I'll give you this secondly, and I'm just going to throw this out there to you, and we're going to have a time of prayer. What will you do when the wounded stand before you? What do you do when your wounds, I'm talking about when they come back, the, your past catches up in a sense. What will you do when the wounded are standing before you? Now, some of you say, wounded? These are the people who wounded Joseph. Why would you give them any type of sympathy or empathy at all? Because I want you just to kind of read a little bit with me here. They're in prison Look in verse 18. Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you're, an honest, if you're honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry again or grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, Get this. We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered and said, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, the blood is now required of us. Do you see how tormented they are by what they had done? The more I've read through the Joseph text, the Joseph narratives, the more I realize that they thought every bad thing that happened to them was because of what they had done to their brother. And for 20 plus years, they had lived with it. 
and lived with the guilt. Now, I'm going to talk more about how grace really comes into their lives and the guilt that they had. But I want you to note verse 24 because it says, Joseph, in verse 23, it says he understood them. And then in verse 24, it says he turned himself away from them and wept. He wept. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Joseph is the weeping patriarch. Because he will weep. And he weeps for them. Oh, when they stood before him, he had this turmoil of emotions. The Bible says that he remembered the dreams that he had had of how they would bow down. And he recognized how God was fulfilling all of this. And, And now he's hearing their conversations and he's hearing their struggle. And he weeps. Well, the scripture says that they bind Simeon. You kind of wonder why it wasn't Reuben, because he was the firstborn. But maybe it's because he just heard Reuben actually spoke up for him. And then he gives them resources, their resources back, and he gives them what they need to travel back. And even when they find the extra money sack and how it had been restored, they respond in verse 28. What is this that God has done to us? They couldn't even take God's grace, or they couldn't take the resources of Joseph because they still had so much guilt in their life. Because again, it went back to that, right? God's, God's out to get us. What will you do when the wounded stand before you? Because you and I know this, right? The deepest wound is the wound of sin upon our hearts and lives. And all of us have experienced that wound. All of us have. I mean, they are in their sin. Joseph's in a much better position than they are. Yes, he's wounded. Yes, he's experienced these real wounds in his life. But they are the ones who are still struggling in true woundedness of sin and guilt. So what will you do? Joseph weeps. Joseph gives grace. Well, we weep. We give grace to those who are still enslaved to their sin. See, their past was catching up with them, just as Joseph's had seemed to reappear in his life. I want to do something different today. I'm going to give this invitation in just a moment. But I want us to have a time of prayer first. Specific prayer. For the wounds. For the woundedness. That's in this room. And those who are outside this room. Who need to see our grace. And need to see our sorrow. And brokenness. I want to pray today for us specifically. Because I'm convinced that our past will catch up with us. It may just be that it shoves its way back in our lives after we'd given up that bitterness. And all of a sudden, we want to carry that bitterness again. We want to pick it back up. We left it at the altar, and all of a sudden, we want to pick it back up and take it with us. Or it may be that we ourselves just need God to provide what only He can to our wounded hearts. Let's pray together. Would you bow? Every eye closed. If you're there in the gathering, 
you're here in the sanctuary, just every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe this morning, there's somebody here who thought they had put aside those physical wounds. The wounds of disease and difficulty. They had heard the word remission, or they had heard the word that their heart was strong, or the Crohn's disease wasn't going to impact things as much as they thought, or so many things like that. And then all of a sudden, all that stuff was shoved right back in their lives. Maybe there's some of you, and you need special prayer this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something different. If you're here and you need prayer because of something physical going on in your life right now, would you stand in this place? Would you do that this morning? Amen. Maybe there's some of you this morning, relationally. You don't have to get up. You're not going to have to confess. You're not going to have to, but there's something relationally. Somebody's walked back into your life. There's a difficulty that you're facing. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to stand. Maybe there's some type of woundedness, okay, that I'm not covering in physical, relational, spiritual, just something that you're going through. Would you stand? And folks, there are people all over this sanctuary right now who've done this. And you can sense them around you. I'm about to pray for us and pray for these. But would you do this? If you're right there around those people, you can feel their sense. Would you just put a hand of encouragement on their back and their shoulder? Would you do it? Don't forget those folks on the back row and those of you who are right there. Would you do that for them? Would you do that? Just, just show them the ministry of touch right now. Look all around us, folks. Folks up there by you. Let's pray together. God, I pray for these folks who are standing. You've taught us as the people of God to come around them. And God, in some of their lives, they thought they had just kind of moved past. They had put some of these things together. They thought they had brought seen healing. They thought they had seen, Lord, restoration. And then, Lord, it just, that ugliness of the past has returned. God, I pray for my friends who are here in this place, in this sanctuary, that are there in that gathering. And I pray that you administer to them. Not, don't allow bitterness to take hold. Help them through this to have a sense of betterness for your kingdom, whatever it is that they're facing. Lord, work in them and minister through them. Now, there's some of you today, and we're going to all stand. I want you to all stand, actually, right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's some of you that you know that sin has wounded your heart. Sin's wounded it. Some of you have already dealt with it through Jesus Christ. Some of you haven't. You need to come give your life to Christ. You never have. Some of you just need to come confess. Some of you just need to come and say, God, I want to follow you in all things. We're going to give you that time right now. Jeremy, come lead us.
gathering band there, you lead us. Let's respond to the Lord right now as we follow him. Jeremy, everybody, as we sing together.